Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey friends, this is Matthias Roberts, and you're listening to Queerology, a podcast on belief in being. This is episode 121. It's horrifying to think how ignorant all of humanity is to mental health. I just think so many people go through life suffering by default because they simply didn't understand that they don't have to feel that way and there's something they can do about it. Daniel Howell is one of the world's most popular and celebrated entertainers. For 10 years, he has written and produced comedy videos on YouTube that have gained over 1 billion views and millions of followers, along with an award-winning BBC Radio 1 show, two number one New York Times bestselling books, The Amazing Book is Not on Fire and Dan and Phil Go Outside, and two stage shows with sell-out world tours. Known for his self-deprecating and sarcastic humor, Dan has also spoken about his real struggles with depression and sexuality, and it's this mix of entertainment with the profound and deeply personal that's given Dan a devoted following of fans. I'm thrilled to have Dan on the show today. We're talking about his new book, You Will Get Through This Night, a practical mental health guide. I mean, if you've been listening to Queerology for any amount of time, you'll know that mental health is super important to me. I mean, it's literally my job. (laughs) And this book is amazing. When he calls it a practical mental health guide, that's exactly what it is. And and it feels like one of those books that can meet you wherever you are on your journey with mental health and give you something really practical to work with. We talk about all of that in the interview, so, so I won't get into it too much. It's Pride Month. Happy Pride. I decided we needed to do something to celebrate here on Queerology. I mean, we kind of do that every year kind of unofficially. But this year, to celebrate Pride, we're going to do an episode of Queerology every week. So that means five episodes this month instead of just two. I can't wait. We have a great lineup. I'm not going to tell you what it is right now, but maybe if you go following on Instagram, I might let it slip a little bit. And be sure to start tuning in here weekly instead of every other week to get all the Queerology you could ever want. Well, maybe not that much. No other announcements today. So let's just go ahead and dive in. Daniel, hi, welcome. Hi, how are you? I am doing all right. I am thrilled to have you on the show today. So thanks thanks so much for taking some time. Thrilled, really. Usually people yeah. are like mostly tolerant. So thrilled is <laughs> really complimentary. Thank you. I mean, mental health is one of my favorite topics. So to be able to talk about that 
on the show. I, I just am I'm, I'm really grateful. So, but to start, the question I ask everyone: uh, How do you identify, and how has faith helped form that identity? If you walked up to me at a party and you said that as an icebreaker, I would scream and immediately <laughs> swan dive out of a window. I'm telling you, I mean, of, of all the first questions, it's like, "Hi, how are you? Well." Hi. Yes, my name's Dan, and I identify as a screaming, screaming internally. <laughs> I think I quite famously am someone that doesn't like labels and the way that humans try to come up with phrases and words with language that define these things that are just so complicated. And sexual and gender identity are two great examples of something where people have these words and they sometimes just don't do the job for either summing up things that we don't understand or things that we can't comprehend internally, emotionally. And this definitely applies to religion. I mean, if, if you were absolutely forcing me, which I guess you are <laughs> right now, <laughs> I would try to say, hey, maybe, I, maybe I'm an, an agnostic atheist, which means God in the very specific sense of all these organized religions, I personally feel probably doesn't exist. However, at the same time, who the heck are we to say anything about anything? Because the one thing I do know is that humans understand very little about the entire universe at all. And I have gone on this whole journey throughout my life that's involved many existential crises going, well, if I don't think I'm a Christian, then what is the meaning of life? What is the truth of the universe? Why am I even getting out of bed in the morning? Never mind doing this email or writing this funny YouTube video about something. And I would literally spend days face down on a carpet going, literally get me to do anything as if anything has any meaning. And then one day I thought, oh, and it's kind of that moment where, you know, if you have this light bulb where existential fear and nihilism becomes actually a very motivational thing, where if you are somebody that for whatever reason thinks that nothing has a meaning, then everything has a meaning. And therefore it's up to you to define your own meaning in the world. And really that the meaning of life for however long life is and whatever may or may not come afterwards is simply to be happy. So as long as I'm enjoying the present of my life, whatever that may be, and trying to live according to my values and to manifest whatever positive impact I want in the world, I just don't need to worry about the rest of it. Easy. <laughs> That's so interesting. I mean, that, that question that you asked, like, if I'm not a Christian, then what meaning does life have? Like, I, like I, I feel like a lot of queer people have asked some type of that question whatever variation is, I know I've asked that question of, of like, if this kind of cosmic purpose, cosmic being that I was raised with isn't out there, then what's the point? And that almost implies that you were maybe raised at least roughly around faith spaces. Like, wh what was that like? So my grandma is a British Christian Protestant woman, and my parents weren't particularly religious, but I think my grandma was like, let me take him to Sunday school, which in the UK, at least the way our churches work, is like a daycare for children that's slightly Jesus-themed. <laughs> you eat biscuits, you colour in a picture of Noah's Ark, everyone has a great time. And for me, my experience of religion was from a child till I was about a teenager, and it Really, it's quite funny. This is the gayest thing you've ever heard in your life. But there was a local theatre that I wanted to attend and extracurricular going to you know, like youth theatre on a Sunday clashed with religion. 
and I chose my gay religion, which was musical theater. So that, that was the, the, the moment for me. And it, you know, that's, it's, it's an interesting moment where you go, okay, well, what has Christianity and going to church been this force in my life for? And what it was, was community and some creativity and singing and drawing and learning some great stories with some great moral messages. And then, you know, obviously you change when you become a 13 year old. And I was a bit like, no, no, I really just want to (laughs) go do this acting on a Sunday. So I was never in a very religious family. I never took it incredibly seriously. I had my own moment of being like, do I believe in this? What is the difference between what I believe is the cosmic truth of the universe? What am I afraid the truth might be if I'm not a Christian? What do I want to do with my Sundays? Do I like the ritual of all this organized religion? And that kind of led me on to being that spiraling 20-year-old lying face down in the carpet. (laughs) So, I I mean, clearly kind of identifying loosely as like agnostic atheist, clearly the answer to that was, and and you just said it, like that, that kind of I'm going to find my own meaning and purpose. My imagination is, you can tell me whether this is true or not, like that wasn't just like a a switch that kind of flipped of like, all of a sudden, like I have found my new values and here I go. What was that process kind of like for you? Painful. (laughs) (laughs) Like my early 20s were literally, because it's such a strange time of your life where for me, my journey as a young adult was so intertwined with really the gay trauma of the negative experience I had living in a very homophobic environment with my school and that need to escape and create a life for myself. So for me, going to college was this absolutely huge moment that intersected in so many ways in my life where it was me discovering myself, having my own time, just escaping from the home environment and finding out who I was. And then that also comes with, what are you studying? Because what's your career? And that comes with, what are you doing with your life? And is your life your career? Dan, who are you? What are you doing? Why are you doing it? And I was studying law school in Manchester. It was very hard. I didn't enjoy it. I discovered very quickly, hey, this is maybe not what I actually want to do with my life and career. Maybe I have this other side of me that was more about being creative and performing that I want to indulge in. At the time, what I was doing as a YouTuber, no social media person ever had a career. It was just a silly hobby. So I had nothing. And for me, it was years of just going, what am I doing? Why am I doing it? Who am I? Why am I making any of these decisions? What am I trying to achieve? And what is not just the truth, but what is the the good version of life that I'm heading towards? What is the good ending for me? And that is something that I never had a light bulb moment for. It just slowly faded away as a question through a series of stumbling over <laughs> and hitting my face on the sidewalk of life. That kind of brings us to your new book, which is You Will Get Through This Night, which at the time that this uh, this interview will come out has been out for a week at this point. So congratulations. <sighs> Thank you. <laughs> it's a huge deal. But I mean, this book is all about like, I mean, you, you call it, it's right on the cover, a practical mental health guide. And you really open up kind of early on in the book about your depression, your anxiety, the, the kind of the dark night that you went through that I'm guessing kind of overlays with some of the stories that you just mentioned being in your 20s. I mean, you've you've learned a lot since then. (laughs) I'm very wise through the virtue of having so many failures. (laughs) Yeah. 
<laughs> what kind of led you from that point to now being someone who's who's really advocating for mental health, for, for getting well? It has been a wild and completely unplanned journey. And that might be reassuring for anyone that <laughs> stresses about what they're doing with their life. Because I posted these comedy videos on YouTube and it was just a hobby. It was just me being silly. I was like, I'm going to tell funny stories from my life. I'm going to make little comedy sketches. And these are just for my own entertainment. It's my friend. It was never meant to go anywhere. As the snowball started rolling, as I got more followers and subscribers, accidentally it turned into this career. Around the time when social media started to blow up, I started getting offers to have a radio show with the BBC. People wanted me to publish books. It was this, that, and the other. And as this spotlight started to grow on me as a person, I realized that there was this huge part of me which was my sexuality, that was an absolutely massive skeleton in my absolutely massive closet that I had not dealt with. And for me, it's the story of someone, and this is something that many people relate to, whether they're having a midlife crisis or just a quarter-life crisis about what they're doing when they're younger, (laughs) where if there are certain problems or fundamental truths that you know you're clashing with, you cannot run from them forever And that's what I tried to do. My adolescent mission, as I said, was to create an independent life for myself where I was financially secure and my environment was safe. I was living on my own terms and I didn't get put in that place that I was as a child. So I was relentlessly career focused and I never took a moment to think about how I felt or what was causing, you know, my perspective on reality. And one day I just hit the wall and I couldn't do it anymore. And At the time, it was just me talking about my mental health. And I was like, you know what? (laughs) I have crippling depression and it is crippling me because not only am I struggling to get out of bed and open the curtains in the morning, but I'm getting to a point where I can't even fake it. I cannot get on a stage and smile and pretend like everything's okay because it's really affecting my ability to cope. So I had that first moment of going, I am going to make a YouTube video called Daniel and Depression, and I'm going to talk about my mental health journey. And I'm sure that you will understand this with everything that you've done with this podcast, but these kind of conversations that we've been having the last few years, five years ago, the world was in a completely different place, not just in terms of queer rights, social justice on the internet, but just an understanding of mental health, feeling comfortable talking about it. There was such spectacular ignorance. You know, when people say, oh, you're taking antidepressants, incredibly common. You're on crazy pills. That kind of, you know, really harmful language. And I thought, I need to do this, but it might destroy my career. It might destroy my friendships. My family might think I'm weird. They might think that I'm this, you know, weird, obscure, crazy person. People won't want to work with me. And it was the first example in my life where I was surprised positively by humanity and how they could treat me. Because my experience as a young queer person was (laughs) everyone hates you. You are inherently broken and terrible. Therefore, you need to hide who you are all the time. And you need to presume the worst in all people because all people will, by default, dislike you. What happened when I posted this video was people empathized with my story. They heard this reality. I shared this vulnerability and they liked it. They said, hey, thank you for sharing And even, you know, you talking about your depression, I've learned something. I learned that I feel like you and I'm not supposed to be this way. Or I have a mother or a sister that's going through the same thing. And now I finally understand their perspective. And so 
<laughs> my whole life, I was just the self-deprecating joke, joke, joke guy. And then I was the mental health guy. Because I think we all have that thing where humor, it, it's a bit of a defense mechanism. You put up that wall, you make that joke about yourself first so that someone else doesn't get in there and stab you where you're vulnerable. And this was me having an example of saying, hey, Dan, actually, maybe if you tell your truth, maybe if you let the guard down and show your vulnerability, not only is it just more compelling entertainment, but people will form an intimate connection with you. And it was that moment that gave me the confidence to go, hey, you know that that gay thing that you're not thinking about inside your head? Maybe it's time to deal with that. So <laughs> yeah, it's a, it was a whole journey. And I don't want to just kind of skip over that that vulnerability part that you're talking about, because I, I think those internal messages, especially for queer folks raised in homophobic environments of where, I mean, that internal messaging of I am wrong, bad, no one will like me to have all of that kind of like stuck in our bodies and then to make a choice to admit something's wrong. That is so difficult to do. At least I imagine for you it was. <laughs> it was it was just shocking. I mean, the thing is, it was like a coming out moment for me just saying I am not okay on some level. And that was me just saying I don't feel great. Didn't even scratch the surface of me being in the closet, which was 90% of why I didn't feel great. So that, you know, that felt like a whole journey. And then I was like, oh, actually, I haven't started. And I had these surreal moments where I would go on tour with a stage show and I would have come pe people come meet me outside and they would open up to me. And, you know, before they would say, Hey, even your silly light entertainment videos, they picked me up on a day when I was feeling bad. And I want to say, thank you. People would say things like, I used to watch your videos and listen to your radio show with my brother when we were in hospital. And these heavy stories that just make you realize, Oh, do I have the power to have this positive influence on people? After I talked about my mental health, people would say, I want to thank you for being open. I want to thank you for being vulnerable and for telling the truth and for doing something so difficult because this has had a profound impact on my life. And I felt like a fraud because I was stood there. I, I had people that came out to me in person because they felt like I was someone that they could trust. And I had to just stand there <laughs> feeling like this, you know, liar. And it was wild. And so I ended up taking a, a hiatus from my entire career for about a year because I it got to the point where I was like, the time has come, Dan. <laughs> you are 28 and you are in this position. It's time to sort your life out. And I just knew I have to come out. And even just the knowledge of going, right, I, I really need to just tell the word I'm gay. It actually started from a nugget of truth that was, Dan, you are actually yet to have a private moment internally where you actually just admit to yourself that you are some kind of gay and that is okay. And I literally had not done that yet in my life. It was something that I was like, no, 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 I can change this. I'm not that. I, I can identify as something else. I need, I'm just, and you know, for me, it was like, this is all just excuses I'm telling myself. And if we're talking about labels, I don't need to say whether I'm gay or bi or pansexual or that we pretend we understand how gender and sexuality intersects. I just need to go, this, I have this sexuality. That is how I'm built. And that's okay. And then not just me writing this epic coming out piece that I had to post on my YouTube video, but just the journey of my understanding of myself. <laughs> and then the thing that every queer person has to do, slowly come out to every person in their life, pulling teeth. It took 
months. It took literally months. And then for me, it was such a weird moment where it wasn't just a personal journey or dealing with my social circle. It was so intertwined with my career and the fact that despite all gay people just wanting to vibe in peace and not have coming out be a big deal, it was the biggest deal ever. And I, I, I didn't, you know, that, that was my nightmare my whole life being outed publicly. And so it was a very uniquely me moment where all of these things intertwined to become a far too epic and overwhelming moment. But here I am alive on the other side. It is so interesting. Like You're talking about the way that your personal life was intertwining with your public life. And like, I, I feel like I talk to so many people, both like in my practice and also just like, you know, people who listen to the show of where, and I feel like I fall into this too, of, of where there's this idea that if we get to a level of platform, if we get to a level of, you know, doing things on the internet, fame, whatever, then all of our problems will go away. <laughs> right? (laughs) (laughs) The problems will be a lot more intense if you try to run from them. That's what I learned. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm really curious, like even navigating this, you know, with a substantial platform, like, I mean, I I can only imagine how much harder that made it. You're saying as much. It was like, because as well, I wanted it to be funny. So it was a creative expression as well. So I was like, this has to be the magnum opus of my life, not just as a personal moment of discovery. And in terms of what can me simply existing and being an entertainer do for other people? Does my platform come with a responsibility to inform or educate? Like, are you, do you have to be a role model? If you have a platform, I'm like, I don't want to be a role model. I want to be a mess in peace. (laughs) You know, let me do whatever I want. (laughs) But it was undeniable. I saw all these young people that looked up to me, all these old people that just needed to, you know, take the homophobia out of their mouths. And I was like, I have to say everything at once. And it was such an epic you know, moment that combined all of that for me that I'm kind of still feeling the aftershocks of it almost two years later. So this book, I I mean, it really is a remarkable book. I don't know that I've seen a book quite like this before. You definitely have your kind of personal story in there, but the brunt of the book is like tools is like, here's like, here's what to do if you're experiencing this or in when you have it kind of broken up into three different sections that like, like right now, you know, later in the future. I mean, those are not your exact terms. <laughs> it's in order of the priorities, yeah, right. that you need to address in your life. <laughs> and I imagine to kind of try to take your experience and then try to write a book in a way that would be helpful for other people and kind of giving tools. What was that experience like? Yes. So it's a very strange full circle moment for me. It is called You Will Get Through This Night, which is immediately an affirmation and a call to action for anyone, you know, walking past a bookshop that feels like they, they were looking for a sign. And I really wanted this book to be like, no, it's a sign. It, 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 could, it could be the ray of light. And it's a practical mental health guide in the sense that this book is very simply the book that I wish I could have had and read earlier in my life. And it does three things that I felt like were missing. And the reason why I I didn't have this before, which is just focusing firstly on the practical information that you need. The the whole book is based on evidence-based approaches that have been learned through science. It's the most up-to-date stuff that has been proven. If you want to try something, if you want to make a change in your life, these are the things that have been proven to make a difference. And 
it is basically the highlights of the entire library of mental health books in one thing. It is pro tip after pro tip after practical exercise that you can do yourself. And then my job is to be the guy that makes it relatable and funny because I don't know about you, but after a long week, the last thing I want to do is the homework of soul searching, <laughs> looking in the mirror and going, oh, how do I sort my life out? I'm like, no, no, no. I don't want to think about that. I just want to put on the TV. So I'm there being funny, trying to make mental health inappropriately humorous. And I am sharing personal experiences from my life as an effort to make it relatable because one of the biggest barriers for me in confronting mental health and sexuality was just that lack of representation and the shame that I carried from not hearing other people talk about it. So for me, it's quite wild because I'm here using myself as a example of terrible mental health for almost every single thing in this book. Like I really, I, I'm sharing quite a lot in this and it's quite scary for me to, to put this out there into the world because it's quite A to Z. But I just hope for the kind of person that hasn't yet gone on this journey for themselves, that they will go, oh, if he's been through this, I've been through it. I want to keep reading because it's entertaining. And then it is just practical. So this is not a 700 page waffly book that, you know, goes off on tangents. It is a lean, mean mental health machine that is designed to be on your shelf. You can read it and you can reread it whenever there is something that you need to remember, something that you want to try out and for it to really be a pocketbook that someone can carry through them to hopefully have a better understanding of how they think, how they feel, why they were built that way and what they can do about it to take some of the control into their hands and make themselves healthier and happier. Hey y'all, I wanted to tell you about a new resource that I have up on my website. It's a masterclass that I recorded with Linda K. Klein. If you haven't heard of Linda, she's the author of the book Pure, Inside the Evangelical Movement that Shamed a Generation of Young Women and How I Broke Free. So Linda and I last year sat down and recorded a masterclass called Four Practices You Can Start Now to Move Beyond Shame. If you were around for my book launch, you're, you're aware we were giving away that for free. Now we're making it available to everyone. So if you want that masterclass, it is, it's free. <laughs> Just head over to my website, MatthiasRoberts.com. It'll be the first thing that you see on there. Just click, I want the masterclass, put in your email address, and I will send you the masterclass right away. Four practices you can start now to move beyond shame. It's an incredible resource. Most of it's Linda's work, really embodied practices that you can start wherever you are at on your journey with shame. So highly recommend it. MatthiasRoberts.com. Hope you enjoy it. When you're talking, this, this bringing to mind to me a, a phrase that I often heard when I was in grad school and, and working on you know, becoming a therapist, which was like, you can't go with people further than you've gone yourself. <laughs> yeah. And, and I feel like I mean, you're talking about... <laughs> I, I've touched the edge of the universe. I hit the wall and I came back again. Yeah. Hi. Which I, I think makes this book all the more powerful. Because even as I was reading it, there were moments where it was so clear that, oh, he knows what he's talking about. Like, he's been here before. And that makes it feel so much more doable, genuine, than if it was some 
I mean, I don't want to pick on lifestyle influencers, but like that stereotypical lifestyle (laughs) influencer. Positive thinking. You can do it. Best life. (laughs) Yeah. I'm like, life has been awful. I've really had a terrible time. I face planted my way up a hill, but here I am at the top of the hill, which I think is a slightly healthier message sometimes. Yeah. And it's so much more relatable. And, and, and uh, at least my experience of reading was like, oh, if he can do it, then so can I. <laughs> yeah, really, like the bar is so low for me. If I can do it, I don't know who you are out there listening. Yes, you. You you really can do it. I, I really believe in you. <laughs> <laughs> so do you mind getting into some of the practical? Oh, yeah. No, I love it. Yeah. So, I mean, you, I mean, you talk about anxiety so much, which, which I feel like anxiety can be a catch-all for, for so many different things. And yet it's something that, I mean, I, from reading your book, I know you'll relate to this for me. I mean, it's just like this all-consuming presence at times. <laughs> like, <laughs> and so when you started kind of working through anxiety, depression, these kinds of things, like what were some of the first tools that you learned, especially for anxiety, that felt like, oh, this actually helps. The first step was even understanding what anxiety is and defining it in my life. Because for so long, I've just had this worry and this feeling of dread and doom that I couldn't quite put my finger on until I realized, actually, (laughs) you know, that's a thing and it's not the truth. And for me, that was, before you even get into how can you change your lifestyle or what tools you can master, that was a, a light bulb moment for me. And it is all encompassing. And I think the biggest thing with mental health and uh, people listening may relate to this is that a lot of people think conversations around mental health do not apply to them just because they are not cripplingly depressed or have a serious anxiety disorder. And that is so wrong because your mental health is simply how you think and feel all the time. And if how you think and feel is in any way stopping you from functioning in life or preventing you from being happy moment to moment, there's something to work on. Any amount of stress, any amount of worry. You don't need to think, I am not suicidally depressed, therefore I'm fine. No, no, no. If there is any part of you that thinks I'm not fine, I could just feel better. I could be more energetic. I could have a more positive outlook on life, a better relationship with my own emotions and the way that I deal with people. You have work to do. <laughs> and, you know, this book for me, it was it was a real uh, personal attack for myself because it made me realize all the elements of my life that I have to do work on. And you may feel personally attacked reading it when you realize, oh no, apparently there's work to do. But that's a good thing, right? Because the moment you realize there's a problem, there's an opportunity for improvement. And so, So the book focuses on firstly having this foundation of understanding of what mental health is and how it applies to you. And then you get straight in with those tools. And I think for anxiety, the biggest one that I am awful at is simply being present. I live up in my head. (laughs) I'm one of those people where if you see me in public, I'm probably zoning out looking into the middle distance, catastrophically fantasizing about something I'm worried about, just replaying the worst case scenario over and over again to spiral into oblivion. That is my default state at any moment. And I simply do not live in reality. I surprise myself when, you know, a spider crawls across my arm and I go, oh, oh my God, I'm I'm a person. I have a body. I exist in time and space and I have senses. And that's the thing. We are meant to be physical beings. We are meant to be these little animals experiencing the physical world. We are not meant to spend so much time in our brains computing. And for me, just being aware of that is one thing, but then the tools and exercises that focus on indulging in your senses, 
what can you hear, what can you taste, what can you see that not only will distract you and change the topic from whatever you're ruminating on, but also if it's something nice, it will lift your mood positively and make you feel better. And just trying to be present in the moment and feeling comfortable with that instead of, which is how I default, ruminating endlessly on the past and feeling depressed or worrying about what I have to do next week and feeling anxious, (laughs) which is easier said than done. Yeah. (laughs) And you said a word a few minutes ago that that really feels important because I feel like you you worked with this quite well was was the word improvement. And, And I contrast that with fixing. Because what I'm hearing you say is not necessarily like, do these things and then you will be fixed. What I'm hearing you say is we actually can like work with ourselves to improve, but it doesn't necessarily mean that we will like be fixed forever. You're absolutely right. That That is just a huge thing where people think mental health and any kind of mental illness or unwellness is just a state of either being good or having a mental health issue when it is a spectrum. It is a roller coaster that will ebb and flow, not just with you know your own journey with mental health, but with the inevitabilities of life. What is happening with your week, with the weather? Did you get pooped on by a bird? Oh no, actually, is, is it something to do with your career? Are you experiencing grief? Have you had some kind of trauma? And life for all of us will have these ups and downs and understanding mental health, understanding how you can create a strong foundation for your health and happiness by doing positive changes to your lifestyle and understanding the tools that will allow you to manage how you think and feel. It's not a fix that instantly makes you unbroken. It's just ways to keep looking after yourself. And this is, it's almost more important for people who think they're fine because for people that think, Hey, I'm, I'm, I'm at the bottom of the hole. I need to lift myself back up. There's some reflection there, but for people that think they're fine, you need to understand why you are fine and how to lift yourself back up. If God forbid you ever take a stumble, which will happen to us all in life. That's huge. Because I think sometimes, I wonder if you'd agree with this, like when things are going really well in our lives, well, and even when things are going really bad, like either things are going well or things are going bad, it's easy to get stuck in that place of this is the way it will be forever. Like, I don't need new tools. I don't need to stay on my medication. I don't need like whatever it is. Like things are great. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I mean, the good news and horrifying way of looking at that is that feelings are temporary, which means that if you are in a good place, I'm not saying that feelings are temporary and you will inevitably not feel so great, but I kind of am saying, I mean, that's just life. I'm sorry to say, but also it means that if you are stuck in that pit of despair, not only are feelings temporary, but life circumstances inevitably change. And that is the number one thing I wish I could have told my, you know, teenage self when I was at my absolute lowest moment in life. Because I think a lot of people that are in danger of hurting themselves are in that position because they feel like there's no escape. It's not that they want to hurt themselves. It's just that they don't want to be in the situation that they are in anymore. And they do not see a way to get out of that scenario. And I was so profoundly wrong Because inevitably, just with the flow of time, every single circumstance in my life changed. So someone just has to know that no matter how bad it gets, yes, feelings are temporary, but also life is simultaneously quite short, 
but it's also in the moment very 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 long and you will not just get through you know the night of your mental health or this that and the other but life will progress so just keep strong so you worked with clinical psychologist on this book um which also when i saw that i was like great (laughs) (laughs) right yeah And I'm curious, like, I mean, one that, that like backs up, like, again, all of this stuff is science based, but there comes a point, I, I, I think, sometimes for us of where we're trying to determine whether like I can and should do this by myself or maybe I should go get some help. And I'm curious for you, like, what have you kind of realized is that line of I can do this all by myself versus maybe I need to bring someone else in on this process. Well, firstly, it's quite reassuring to hear that you have a strong opinion about uh, believing in professionals, (laughs) too, because I think it's it's not actually quite a controversial statement to say that humanity, they have a bit of an issue with facts at the moment and believing in, in science and trusting experts. And it's that thing where sometimes you get your aunt on Facebook that just says something and she might be lying or that influencer that posted that pretty graphic design on Instagram. It doesn't actually mean they're qualified to know what they're talking about. And as much as I'm someone that feels like I I know a lot about this topic. I wanted it to be trustworthy. And so I worked with an amazing clinical psychologist called Dr. Heather Bolton, who made sure that all of the advice and the things that we were saying were the most up-to-date things that were proven to be effective. But she thoroughly (laughs) fact-checked the entire thing, which often meant deleting whole pages that I thought were wonderful and articulate (laughs) and intelligent. And sometimes it was, you know, you phrase this in a way that's not particularly, you know, the the right perspective to have on mental health because language evolves and we all have these ways of phrasing things. And she's like, actually, you know, if you're talking about this, you shouldn't say it like that. You should say it like this. And some things that were just me going, I am pretty sure that this is a great thing to do for a panic attack. And she's like, no, no, it's not. (laughs) But now what it means is I, I can not only for other people, but when I read this book for myself, I can believe it. And it was a funny journey for me because I, I struggle to ask for help and to let other people into my life. But for me, firstly, it was going to a doctor and investigating medication. And that was that thing where I spoke to a doctor and I did that little 10 question questionnaire that doctors in the UK use to see whether someone's depressed. And it was like, uh, do you look forward to the things that you love? Do you uh, have an appetite? How's your sex drive? And I was just a bit like, no, 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 no. So how's it looking? And the doctor was like, well, (laughs) I don't know how to tell you this, but that was, that's a good thing. And therapy for me was all about having that objective voice to not just give me great advice and to tell me the truth, but for me, it was having another person that I could implicitly trust to give me an honest reflection of who I was, because my view of the world is so cynical and I have just dealt with so much self-hatred. Sometimes I had to have a professional, a therapist sitting opposite me to hear a story that I told them or a thought that I had and to go, Dan, I don't know how to say this, but that's whack. <laughs> you know, you you have such a toxic view of yourself and that's not right. And I was like, isn't it? So for me, that is why it's so important to sometimes not just help yourself. I think it's so easy. I know this in my mental health journey to do exactly what you're saying, that that sense of I'm fine. Like, 
uh, and this is normal and and to actually have another body and presence in the room who can kind of reflect <laughs> in a relational setting like wait a second what did you just say <laughs> that's that's not normal and and then be able to trust and work with that person i i feel like tools are so important like what you're doing in this book is so i mean we need them and that practicality yes and being able to do that with somebody with relationship it also changes things it's two profoundly important pillars of supporting yourself really because firstly these tools seem like such fundamental knowledge that i don't know why it isn't forced for every child to learn as soon as they get into school. I mean, it's just such a fundamental part of maintaining your life as a human. I have no idea why all of this was news to me until a few years ago. I mean, it's it's horrifying to think how ignorant all of humanity is to mental health. I just think so many people go through life suffering by default because they simply didn't understand that they don't have to feel that way and there's something they can do about it. But I will spoil the entire book now in agreement with you to say that no matter how many tools there are and things you can learn and perspectives you can get on how your mind works, the number one support for yourself in any way is having another person there. And if you have a professional, amazing, because they're trained and they know exactly how to guide you in a kind and professional, trustworthy way. But even just opening up to a friend can be a lifeline because the moment you get something out of your mind and into the real world, you strip it of all of this ominous power that it had, all the guilt, all the shame, all the fear, and just the inherently toxic way that we all treat ourselves on the inside. The moment you get someone else's perspective, it can completely diffuse a scenario. And just even if your friend can't help in the way that a professional can, if they don't you have the best reaction or give you this amazing life-changing piece of advice, just feeling heard and acknowledged makes you feel connected to the universe and that you aren't floating through the stars in this solitary suffering journey. And that can be a lifeline, which is why it's so important for us to feel comfortable speaking to others and to be there for the other people in our lives. I feel like that's such a good point because, I mean, yes, therapy is great, but like we can't just have a therapist or for some of us, you know, therapy isn't accessible in these moments. And so, so to be able to have these other people who, again, may not be professionals, but who can come alongside. I mean, I, I talk with my clients all the time about like, what's your support structure? Like it, 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 it can't just be me. I'm happy for it to be me. But, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but like, but really, like, like, like get a dog, speak to your friends, text your grandma, <laughs> like go, go, go. Bye-bye. Yeah. <laughs> and that, that's, again, out of my own experience, it's so hard to talk to friends about this stuff. It's almost easier to talk to a therapist, and it is easier to talk <laughs> yeah, to a absolutely. therapist. Absolutely, that was my experience. Yes, <laughs> than to go to our friends, the people that we know, and say, "Hey, actually, I'm really struggling." Yeah, I think that we're all we're very defensive by default because socially we don't want to be judged, and we have this fear that by admitting vulnerability, we're going to make ourselves feel weaker. But in reality you know, anyone that's close to you, we, we all feel the same way. Every single human has this silent shame that they carry around that they don't want to burden other people or embarrass themselves. And that is just a lie that we need to absolutely all drop <laughs> immediately and smash because people, if you had a friend that said, oh, I don't want to burden you, what would you say? You'd be like, 
I wish you told me sooner. I, I hate that you were struggling and you didn't tell me. I would have loved to have been here for you. It will bring you closer to that person. And that is a connection that every single person has. So don't be like me and suffer in silence for so many years because you are afraid of judgment or imposing yourself on others. And even if you do, keep going. You're not doing anything wrong by trying. And I say this in the book, like you cannot view it as a scary thing that you're afraid to fail at because as soon as you acknowledge that you're trying to improve something about your life, you're already doing something in good faith. And even if you fall flat on your face, you're doing it with the best intentions on a positive journey. And it is worth every single (laughs) attempt and failure if you're doing it for a reason. That feels huge too. I feel like I'm saying that a lot in this conversation. Like <laughs> this is a huge conversation. With, I mean, we started with God, and now we're talking about life and the meaning and this and the other. <laughs> but even the way, I mean, you're reframing the way you talk to yourself, which I mean, again, for me, like that's not easy to do. Is <laughs> to, to, to shift from that, like you idiot, to you're actually trying something here. Yeah, like, let's you're give trying your best, sweetie. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> For people who have a really hard time with that or who are listening to this scared to kind of take that first step, who who don't even who can't who don't even have imagination for what it looks like to speak kindly to themselves. Do you have ideas of what like maybe a baby step would look like? I was so stuck in the opposite direction here. And this completely came from my uh, wacky, traumatizing queer childhood where <laughs> I had this cynical worldview. I had this horribly toxic view of myself and I always expected the worst and in, in ways that served me. And, you know, I talk about this, how sometimes if you have this stiff upper lip mentality where you 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 hide your vulnerability, it can make you resilient in extreme situations, but inevitably it will crumble, it will wear down, and then you'll be left raw on the inside. And it is such a struggle for me to just not be cynical. And a phrase like gratitude or self-compassion makes me want to projectile vomit and, you know, (laughs) run away and scream and just be like, ah, no, cringe, terrible, boo, no, I don't do that. But actually, the truth is, to anyone out there that feels like, I don't know how to give myself love, I don't feel comfortable with that, or I don't, you know, I feel like I I don't want to have this sunnier outlook on the world. It's not about just being positive. This is, you know, it's that very Instagram thing where people are like, positive mental attitude, guys, and it's not quite that easy. And I think I, I say the phrase, realistic optimism, which is, you need to acknowledge the truth, which is the good and the bad. Firstly, you need to acknowledge the bad, so you can be honest about what to fix. But you need to acknowledge the good, which is what I had the issues with, in order to give yourself an objective view of reality. If you are really cynical and sour, and you don't want to let the love in, you don't want to be open to other people, you don't know how to you know, start practicing these things, then you're not actually having a balanced view of the universe. You're skewing yourself negatively. And that doesn't, it actually makes you less successful overall. And I think a good first step is to just practice gratitude is one example, which is even if you are having the worst day of your life, if you have nothing, if your entire life has fallen apart, just find one thing that you are grateful for and just acknowledge it. And that can really be a stake being driven through your cold vampire heart. (laughs) (laughs) You know, eventually when you train your instinct to look for and not be soppy, but just acknowledge the things that you have and what's good in the world and what keeps you going or your faith, if you have it and let that 
support you. And hopefully, slowly, you will start to unbrainwash yourself. Daniel, how can people find you, your work, this book? I am everywhere at Daniel Howell. As I've said, my my personal life and my life story is in completely intertwined with my career. Here I am spilling my guts, uh, <laughs> mining my trauma for people's entertainment. And if anything, you know, I my whole life and my career has been a complete accident. But if here I am at the end of the day writing this book that, you know, it's not a joke, it's filled with jokes, but actually it's designed to really be there in a way that I wish someone was there for me before. I hope that it helps people. I hope that my life, how I've ended up here, has achieved something and will do something for other people. And metaphorically or literally, trust me, you will get through this night. Thank you so much. This has been lovely. Thank you. It's been a beautiful conversation and you have a beautiful soul. Oh, thank you. You can find Daniel across the internet at Daniel Howell. Be sure to go grab a copy of You Will Get Through This Night, a practical mental health guide wherever you buy books. Queerology is on Twitter and Instagram at QueerologyPod, or you can tweet me directly at Matthias Roberts. Queerology is made possible because of you. To find out how you can help keep Queerology on the air by becoming an active listener, head over to patreon.com slash Matthias Roberts. A really easy way to support the show is by leaving a rating and a review. You can do that right in your podcast app or head to MatthiasRoberts.com slash review and it'll take you right there. As always, I'd love to hear from you. If you have ideas of what you want to hear on the show or just want to say hi, reach out. I'll get back to you. And until next time, y'all, bye! When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.